guys, welcome back to another episode of Anything Goes. I'm your host, Bilal Ali, and today we have uh, Nikita Villarreal joining us. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Sister Nikita. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Uh, how are you? I'm good, alhamdulillah. You know, life in the pandemic with kids, but alhamdulillah, we're all good. Alhamdulillah, yeah. So, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself quickly. Sure, yeah. Um, so it's always kind of funny to do that, right? Because you start to put yourself into little boxes. Yeah. But um, I'm a writer, a researcher, a historian, um, a mother, and a revert to Islam uh, based in Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Canada. Um, so that's me. Inshallah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so today, guys, uh, the episode we were planning was kind of to talk about like reversion and like struggles stuff like that right so i guess um the first thing i'd want to start off with is like can you kind of tell us about your like background how you grew up and stuff and like was your family uh religious or yeah so i was i'm italian um by ethnicity so i was um born catholic i guess you could say um, and I was baptized. Uh, I never received my communion or confirmation. Mm-hmm. And our family was not really involved with the church much. Like, we went quite a bit for things like Easter and Christmas, like Midnight Mass. Um, and definitely funerals and weddings always took place in the church. Um, so yeah. it's not like I was a stranger to it. And I also went to Sunday school and stuff. Um, but I do remember getting in trouble for saying that Isa, uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, was just a man. Um, and kind of arguing with my Sunday school teacher about it when I was like six years old. Uh, <laughs> signs of things to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when I was about seven, our family changed faiths. Um, so we actually became Baha'i for seven years. Oh, wow. um, and we followed that. I don't have a ton of memories from that time. Like it's seven years, you know, up to the time that I was 14. Um, mm-hmm. But my memories of it are like summer camps and hanging out with our friends and um, having a picture of, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, their their um, leadership and stuff on our wall. Um, yeah. And I remember that like our food kind of went from Italian food at home to eating a lot of turkey. Turkish and Iranian food, like Persian mm. foods, because those are the kinds of people we were hanging around with. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. And then, um, you know, I, our family, my family went away from that faith for a variety of reasons. Um, and then we just kind of became nothing. So from the time that I was about 14 um, into my early 20s, I was sort of searching Um mm. In high school, I took a world religions class, and that's where I first encountered the Quran. And I went to a mostly white high school, um, and there weren't any Muslims that I knew of there. But I was really, I was like really involved in Model United Nations. So when we would do um, like regional meets for it, like at the University of Alberta, um, that's where I really started to meet Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, many of whom I still know to this day. Um, and that's that's kind of 
that was my first sort of like step into Islam, even though as Baha'is, we like accepted Muhammad وسلم, as a prophet and we accepted the Quran as divine revelation. Obviously, it's de-emphasized as yeah. the last testament and the last like the seal of the prophets. Mm-hmm. So I um, so I didn't have that much knowledge about it until later in my life. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of a little bit about our background, my background. Yeah, mashallah. I was actually you you kind of like touched base on something I wanted to say. I was going to I was going to ask like in your childhood and upgrade like upbringing before Islam, uh do you like remember any encounters with like Muslims and how were those and stuff like that? But I guess you kind of said that in the university. Well, yeah, there was it was pre-university days, so a little bit in high school, but also my mom when she became um when she was part of that other faith community, she also got really involved in helping um with settlement services for refugees, and at that mm-hmm. time there was a lot of refugees coming in from um Iran and also from like Bosnia. Um so we ended up knowing a whole bunch of Muslim families and um you know like my brother played on soccer teams um with muslim friends and he had his best friend in elementary school was a muslim egyptian and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing so there was always kind of like muslims a little bit in our lives um, but i didn't know anyone kind of deeply and in high school it was really that crew that i met at the model united nations and we had this like summer camp that was a whole week long and it was model un summer camp it sounds so nerdy now (laughs) we were so into it it was amazing yeah it was actually really cool they woke us up for like an emergency security council at like two o'clock in the morning even it was amazing and and i just remember from that time being really fascinated and making some really deep connections in a short amount of time there i remember sitting in a field with with one muslim brother and just having him tell me that there you know there's 114 chapters in the quran and all that stuff and then you know like later university was the sort of blip where i didn't Uh really know any muslims i did a history degree but i didn't do any islamic studies or any islamic history um and i was really lost i was sort of like pitching myself as an atheist Mm -hmm. um so there was this like whole four-year disconnect um before i touched base with those people i had known in high school again and that re re kickstarted my journey um on the islamic path that's good mashallah so like i kind of i wanted to like ask like before you became a muslim do you think like there were like certain set of values that were like instilled in you that that made you uh you know like kind of go towards islam or like whether it be like religion or ethical or morals you know stuff like that mm-hmm yeah, definitely. So a lot of people, when they ask, like, originally why I converted to Islam, I always answer that I found myself represented somewhere, um, mm-hmm. which also happened to be tied to divine revelation. So it was very convenient for me um, because I had a really justice based ethos growing up um, as a teenager. My hobbies were organizing protests against the invasion in Afghanistan after mm-hmm. 9-11. Um, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, heavily involved in raising awareness about, um, you know, the, the moral, uh, moral injustice of invading Iraq in 2003 um, and that kind of thing. So I was really invested kind of politically and in justice work. Yeah. Um, And I would say also I had, growing up, I had a pretty, um, I would say challenging high school, or sorry, childhood. Like I faced a lot of 
um, adverse childhood experiences. And uh, so I found my solace a lot in books uh, Mm -hmm. and reading a lot and seeking knowledge. So the desire to know more and the desire to question uh, my surroundings and to understand and um, have a deep knowledge, deep rooted knowledge um, Mm -hmm. was always a part of me. And I think that those things are very well reflected um, in Islam. But even more than that, um, like my desire to seek knowledge led me to questioning, you know, epistemological and ontological truths and philosophy. Like, what do we know? What do we know about the universe and the nature of its construction? How can we know about the transcendental divine? How does Mm -hmm. that interact with us? And that kind of thing, all these deep questions, right? Yeah. Um, And Islamically, it has a very rich, deep tradition of um, contemplating that, but also um, illustrating what those answers are to those, those important philosophical questions. Um, So I found uh, many of what I already believed about how the universe was structured reflected in Islamic epistemologies as well. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, yeah. I uh, I see like in a lot of like convert stories like on YouTube, for example, or something, right? Like a lot of them, um, they say like they they went like through like some like tough stuff in life where like they they kind of went away from like religion for a while and stuff and then they did like some soul searching and stuff which is uh it's it's, like pretty cool and stuff so yeah it seems to be kind of you know a bit of a pattern Mm -hmm. um it was sort of a lifelong thing for me like my mom can tell you stories about me looking out the window at like four years old and asking her where the trees came from um, kind of thing. (laughs) Um, And like who made those and that kind of like always just being super inquisitive. But I definitely had a period in university where at that time in the social sciences, it was really fashionable to be an atheist and I wanted a sense of belonging and I had had a traumatized youth um, and, you know, atheism sort of provided that even though, inwardly i never believed it yeah and i can say that like with absolute confidence and conviction mm-hmm. um yeah so it did lead me to sort of look for answers i had a really terrible depressive like episode of depression after i graduated from my first degree um and i mean to like trigger warning mental health issues um yeah. but because of my past and stuff, like I suffered from suicidal ideation every single day and I wanted a way out. Like I wanted some answers and I needed to do something to change my life. And that led me, um, that led me eventually to Islam in a lot of like really strange kind of spiritually magical ways. Subhanallah. Yeah. Subhanallah. I'm sorry to hear that, you know, but is that, I guess you would say like that the turning point that made you look towards Islam. It was a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of the time, I mean, we have this in this reflected in the stories of our prophets, peace and blessings Mm -hmm. be upon them, where they're in the most dire of circumstances and the most desperate for reprieve. And that what, that's what brings them to God. Right. Yeah. So there's a kind of, poetics about that um that is reflected in the lives of everyday people yeah and so it was definitely a turning point i can't explain why i chose to look into islam except that it's hidayah because you know when i thought to myself that i have to make a change or i'm going to end my life Mm -hmm. um you know the first thought that popped into my head was i'm gonna find a quran and read it and i don't know why that 
that thought came to me, you know, Allah. subhanAllah. Um, yeah. I mean, I had been well-versed in the Torah and the Talmud and the New Testament. Um, and I had been well-versed in a lot of other world religions. I was heavily involved in kind of like the new age uh, hippie community. I mm-hmm. had lots of avenues for exploration and I, I went the way of finding a Quran. And once I started reading it, I didn't stop um, until I took my Shahada and even after. So some of these things are not really explicable. Subhanallah. Yeah. It's a blessing. Subhanallah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Can I kind of like ask you like, how did a life change before and after Islam? So like when you became a Muslim, how, how was life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, there obviously were a lot of changes. Islam is a whole way of life. Um, but those things had to happen incrementally for me. Um, because of our family's past experience um, with other faith communities, uh, there was resistance to me exploring um, faith of any kind um and so at the time you know i was living in a little house um with a roommate by the university and that was no longer um what i felt was islamically appropriate uh so my conversion to islam involved a moved back home Mm. um which meant going into an environment where i had to kind of boil the frog slowly my family knew i was interested in islam they knew that i was reading the quran they knew i was quote unquote trying to fast ramadan not knowing i had already taken my shahada (laughs) um back in 2010 um but i didn't pray in front of them like i would actually pray laying down in my bed um Mm for an entire year uh and that kind of thing um just because i knew that it would a be difficult for them and b given their own past experiences there might be a little bit of hostility there and i wanted to make it easy for all of us um so i did what any sane person would do and i moved to morocco instead (laughs) (laughs) what I wish I was joking, but I'm not. So after I converted, I went I went on a trip to Italy. Yeah. Um, and there I met my husband, uh, my future husband. Um, he lived and worked in Italy for 12 years. And I met him in Florence. Um, and Mashallah. yeah, we made the um, Nia to be married. Yeah. And he was also opening a school in Morocco. So I decided to come help him open this school in his village. Yeah. Um, and so uh, about five and a half months after or six months after I took my Shahada, uh, which was on August 11th, 2010, um, yeah. I went to Morocco for the first time. I saw the school. I met family. We made plans. And then the following fall, I moved to Morocco and that move allowed me to live my life as a Muslim for the first time openly. Um I was in a Muslim country. I could, and, and I had the intention, like, as hijra, like, I was going so that I could wear the hijab without having to deal with Islamophobia and without having oh, to deal yeah. with, like, my family issues and stuff. I could go, I could pray, I could fast Mondays and Thursdays, and no one would bat an eyelash. Like, I went there to be Muslim as much yeah. as I went for marriage and for the school. Um, and 
you know, I told my mom I was Muslim before I left because she yeah. was really worried that I would go there and it would be like, you know, people would try to convert me there and whatever. And I was like, mom, it's too late. <laughs> like, I've been Muslim for a year. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a shock, eh? Yeah. You know what, though? As soon as I said that, she was just like, OK, you're Muslim now. SubhanAllah. We had a great hug. We were in Dairy Queen for some reason. We had like, wow. a Dilly bar after. <laughs> <laughs> i know not exactly like how i had planned to tell her yeah. but you know these things come out the way they, they do yeah. um but then the time that i was in morocco building the school and fundraising and everything allowed me um the space that i needed to really have a solid muslim identity so mm -hmm. when i came back for six months after that first year in morocco I sent a message on social media and said, look, like I'm coming back from Morocco. You've all been following my adventures. By the way, I'm coming back in a veil and I'm Muslim. This is what Muslims believe. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask me. But I just want you all to know that, you know, I converted before I went to Morocco. I came here for as a spiritual experience and I'm willing to share it with all of you. And people were super supportive. Like people I've known wow. my whole life just didn't even bat an eyelash. You know, so to come yeah. back from another country in a veil and like all this stuff is really overwhelming. But I had a really great support network around me. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I think Canada is like good for that, you know, like uh, very accepting of like all cultures, religion, um, you know, everybody really. So for the most part, I mean, for the most part, it is. I won't say it was 100% easy, though. Like, I've had people yeah. in my family, you know, who have stopped talking to us. Um, wow. People that, you know, refuse to speak to us kind of at weddings and that sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. that sort of thing does come with the whole experience. And there's a lot of grief and loss with that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to a certain degree, like, folks will be accepting as long as it's not their culture, right? Yeah. So, like... Um, if it's those people's culture, but not like someone in their family becomes one of those people, <laughs> yeah. it's a different story. So I understand, though, it's a lot to take in and yeah, everyone's definitely. on their own journey. So that's why for me and my family, it was best for me to do it the way that I did by yeah. the permission of Allah. Well, inshallah, you know, you get a lot of edge for that in, in the end and stuff. So, inshallah. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what were, like, some of the challenges that you kind of faced as a Muslim, like, as a new convert or revert? Mm. You know, most people, <laughs> when they answer this question, they're like, oh, it was a whole bunch of community acceptance, and then people just disappeared, and that's kind of yeah. like the stock revert answer, or like, oh, I had issues adapting to, like, my born Muslim husband's culture, or whatever, mm -hmm. but for me, it was a completely different experience, because when I converted here, um, I converted completely alone, I didn't, yeah. like, have... Uh, you know, a big experience at the mosque on Jumu'ah or something, right? Yeah. Um, and I just kept to myself. Like, I fasted the entirety of the first Ramadan completely alone. Like, I would eat my rice and lentils alone in my kitchen at iftar. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, wow. then I would go pray tarawih by myself. Wrong. It was all wrong. I didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> but <laughs> I even drank water the first Ramadan. It was a disaster. But alhamdulillah, inshallah, Allah accepts anyway inshallah. inshallah and i'll make yeah. this up i'm sure sometime yeah. um but yeah so my experience was quite different so 
I guess, um, you know, then I was kind of, I, I reconnected with those people, as I mentioned, from high school. Yeah. And they really took me under their wings. I used to call them the crew. Um, mm-hmm. And we would get together. They would invite me to their, like, Pakistani dawats. Um, or we'd hang out and just, like, um, whatever, have, like, um, potlucks. Um, and Or we'd go to Juma together or that kind of thing. Like, it was just a really solid crew of really balanced people. Um, yeah. So I was lucky there, but in terms of struggle, it really started, I would say, I've never struggled Islamically, but I've struggled with like cultural stuff. So when Mm. I was in Morocco, you know, it was like adapting, first of all, adapting to being in a rural area, right? Yeah. Then adapting to all of a sudden I'm the director of a primary school. Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, big life changes. Right. Um, and a family dynamic, like going from living in a, a, you know, a house by the university and having my full, you know, like life and independence in a big city to like living with 11 family members in a traditional Arab household in rural Morocco. Right. (laughs) So, uh, dealing with like the climate and like my family members, um, you know, speak primarily Moroccan Darija. So having to learn the language to communicate and like just a whole bunch of those kinds of things but i wouldn't say i ever struggled islamically like i was really blessed um to be part to marry into a family of really pious folks may allah preserve them and continue to guide them um so like my salah and everything it was always like me waking them up for fajr and them being grateful about it you know and like that kind of thing um or like me fasting and like them fasting with me because they saw me doing it or whatever and just like that kind of thing so so my struggles were really not not to do with faith um alhamdulillah yeah, alhamdulillah. It, that kind of stuff really didn't come until much, much later when we moved back to Canada. And I started getting involved with more community organization stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's always kind of a, a toss-up because there's mm-hmm. always community politics and people with different personalities and cultural baggage and yeah. um, that kind of thing where you're dealing with some toxicity and, and whatnot. Um, but again, it was never really about Dean. Like, I've never yeah. struggled um, with Dean, uh, I guess, except, you know, in public spaces wearing hijab, like getting Islamophobia mm-hmm. um, and Islamophobic attacks and stuff. Um, people saying things. And I had some issues in Italy at that at one point. Um, oh, you were like wearing a, uh, the hijab in Italy? Yeah, we went back to Italy um for a little while like because my husband was working there and i wore i as soon as i could basically as soon as i had the intention for hijra and i got on the airplane i landed in frankfurt for a layover to florence and i put the hijab on in the frankfurt airport bathroom and i've never taken it off since um alhamdulillah yeah like and it was so it was a year after i converted um but so i was wearing it in italy and i did have like i had like an old man try to like rip it off my head he was drunk um in the street and then he like shoved me into traffic thank god there were no cars and it was really crazy yeah alhamdulillah but um for the most part like it's been pretty chill for me and i think that's just because of you know being a historian and now having a master's um, in islamic jewish studies and history like i have a really solid grounding in faith fundamentals and um kind of like the diversity of the discourse um Mm -hmm. so i 
you know, alhamdulillah, like Allah has permitted me to seek and obtain some knowledge. And that really helps with fortifying one's Islamic identity. Yeah, mashallah. Yeah, I'm sure like, like knowing, because like, I like we all kind of like know a little bit about like each religion, but not that much, right? But you like actually have like experience with dealing with those religions and you have like degrees about those religions. So I'm sure like probably that uh, kind of helped like uh, strengthen your iman maybe oh definitely like i mean i have a daily quran group now 58 women we read quran and we check in with each other every day alhamdulillah it's really wonderful um but just yesterday i was doing my reading to check in with them and i was like it's funny because you know i'm 10 years a muslim now subhanallah and i'll still have more (laughs) um there'll be like a moment in salah where i'll just be standing there being like i'm a muslim this is so weird (laughs) (laughs) like like it's 10 years on and i'm still like what's going on um or i'll be reading you know like i was reading quran yesterday and i for this group and i was like i was reading it thinking how can anyone read this and just not see that it's the truth like it's yeah. so obvious to me subhanallah yeah. but that that comes from allah and we pray that exactly. it never leaves my heart inshallah um inshallah. but yeah yeah definitely definitely a funny experience for sure <laughs> yeah alhamdulillah so like as like a, as a muslim activist and stuff like what are like some i guess it's kind of a shift from like what we were just talking about but like what are um some challenges that you see with dealing like with the Muslim society in like in like Canada for example uh mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah I mean alhamdulillah we're still here right mm-hmm. we're still here we're still Muslim I think yeah. that's really a testament to the strength of the community the growth of the community of yeah. course we are facing a number of challenges a lot of people talk a lot about Islamophobia yeah. And there's no doubt that overt Islamophobia is a huge issue. For a long time, my activism was primarily focused on that. Yeah. However, I found that it actually affected how I thought of my deen. I mm. was sort of living my practice of religion reactively. And I under started to understand it in answer to Islamophobic myths and lies about us. Rather than for the kind of rich, nuanced, deep cultural tradition that it is... Um, and religious tradition that it is, and that so many of our pious predecessors, may Allah be pleased with them all, fought so yeah. hard to deliver to us as a message, especially the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. May Allah bless his family and all of mm. his descendants. Um, so for me, you know, I I went through a huge shift where my activism became less about teaching people not to hate us, and it mm-hmm. became really more about fortifying muslims in their muslim identity in their ability to access islamic knowledge in their ability Mm -hmm. to access the quran um just even encouragement um to do so uh you know so it came with the realization that like to be honest as a muslim we're always going to be strangers to a certain degree yeah we don't want people to hate us yeah we can work to educate them but you know we're always going to be strangers, right? And so we have to build um, strength in and comfort in that kind of discomfort of living in the dunya as someone different and walking a different path. 
Um, so my activism really shifted towards supporting Muslim women and especially supporting Muslim youth. Um, I completed a year-long study last year studying the primary challenges that Muslim youth in Canada face. Um, mm-hmm, alhamdulillah, I interviewed 72 youth in five different municipalities. Wow. And it was an incredible experience and in listening to um, the identity crisis that youth are facing yeah. and the generation gap that they're facing with their parents and grandparents, um, their economic uh, feeling of economic insecurity, and yeah. especially their feeling of Islamic insecurity because they don't necessarily feel represented or cared for by the community organizations and grassroots movements that are supposed to be serving them. Yeah. So in terms of the challenges Muslim youth are facing specifically um, in this context, it's reconciling the fact that we will be different mm -hmm. and we have dignity in that difference and we can fortify ourselves um, in that difference while still fully participating in society and working actively towards justice and fulfilling all of the faith tenets that Islam puts upon us. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I definitely think, you know, we're facing an ongoing challenge that's been something that Muslims have faced um, since the beginning, uh, you know, kind of living yeah. in an environment, you know, the, the early Meccan a community um, at the time, at the beginning of Revelation, um, it really is like a kind of embryonic version of what many of us are experiencing now. Of course, it was much more hostile, um, but living as, you know, uh, Muslims in non-Muslim society and all of yeah. the caveats and difficulties that come with that, but persisting nonetheless. So how yeah. do we how do we facilitate that persistence, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I've been working on a lot more in my activism in the last two years. Um, and it's been good because it's really taken me out of the limelight. It's no mm -hmm. longer a tokenization of my identity as a hijabi Muslim woman, you know, splashed all over newspapers and in the media all the time. Yeah. It's really about focusing on and caring for mu'minun um, and muslimin in our city and making space for people to come back to their Islam, however far they've gone from it and whatever yeah. they're bringing to the table. That's great, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. You know what's... Uh... What's like crazy as well, which I guess it's not too crazy when you think about like Islam as a religion, but like um, it's not even only like in the the Western culture or whatever, right? It's like even in supposedly like Islamic states, right? Mm -hmm. Like even there, like Muslims are still like if you're a proper practicing like Muslim, you're like a stranger to the society and stuff, right? So, oh, absolutely. And that's a yeah. huge legacy of like liberal colonialism, neocolonialism, imperialism, ongoing secularization, um, like Muslims who pray Fajr in the mosque in yeah. Middle Eastern countries are suspe suspect. Right. Exactly. Uh, you yeah. get your name written down and the, you know, the police will show up at your door or you'll be or in many countries, you'll just be outright imprisoned for certain movements that you belong to. Yeah. Um, so it's a huge issue. Um, definitely. It actually hurts more in those societies because the people mm -hmm. doing it are your kin. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they should know better. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, a lot of them, too, like they they don't even like really want like Islam to 
to you know grow in the country or like proper Islam, and it's like they're like also like influenced by like America and like all those like other countries too, right? So, well, the biggest thing is that it's actually an issue of the human heart and greed mm. for power. Okay, because yeah. Islam is the ultimate liberation for the soul. When you only have submission and allegiance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every action and every movement of your life and every ethical decision, you you disrupt the power of the state. You disrupt the power of the leadership and the elite, yeah. right? If you're not worshiping at the altar of consumerism, capitalism can't denigrate you as its slave, right? Um, yeah. So it's really important to recognize that Islam is seen as a threat to power because it destabilizes and liberates the subject. It mm -hmm. liberates the individual, ironically, in a dunya that's a prison, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> subhanAllah. Yeah, subhanAllah. But that's why in so many um, different contexts with so many different, like across time and across history, you see Islam as, uh, you know, pitched as the stranger. Um, yeah. And it's largely for that reason. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's like quite a blessing, you know, that we're we're Muslims and stuff. I didn't think of it much in like the sense of uh, that it does like liberate you and stuff. And you know, it, it's true though, like, because uh, you're you're not like a prisoner to like society's, um, you know, things that they want you to do or like desires stuff like that. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and your your um, ethics and your behavior is tied to something universal and timeless, right? Mm -hmm. Or for rather not timeless, but forever timely, right? Like it's always relevant to now. Yeah. Um, and that sort of thing cannot be uh, replaced by anything else. And when yeah. we actually, when we try to replace that in our hearts with something other than Islam, we get all kinds of not only um, physical and mental diseases, of course, but we also get social ills as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I do really see it as um, as medicine uh, for the human soul. And that means collectively also. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of, I had like another question that's, it's not as much about like Muslims in general, but what are like challenges you see facing like our society at large? So kind of like the whole society. Oh yeah. Well, oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's get out the list. <laughs> Subhanallah, this dunya, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say climate change is a huge one. Um, mm -hmm. That's probably the most imminent threat. Um that we're facing and will lead to countless social and uh, socioeconomic issues, yeah. um, not to mention posing an existential threat, right? In terms yeah. of like, uh, you know, humanity's existence um, on earth. Of course, it's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we trust and accept everything that he decrees. Um, yeah. But I would say, yeah, definitely climate change because it will affect so many other things, right? right. Like pandemics um, will be increasing. Um, I mean, of course, these are according to scientific projections, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, flooding, natural disasters will all increase. Um, you know, the, the talk about uh, climate refugees um, from drought zones and things like that will increase, which will cause social issues, 
right? Mm-hmm. Of um, like encounter and mixing um, yeah. that previously didn't exist. And a lot of people talk about even the Syrian um, crisis and a subsequent mass refugee exodus as being a part of climate change because of the drought um, yeah. stimulating protests and, and all kinds of things in the region. So I think climate change definitely is one of the major things and it has such a cascading effect on all other facets of life, whether it's social um, or economic um, and various other things. So definitely that. I also think um, society is dealing with um, a lack of soul, (laughs) Uh, a lack of soul work, a lack of soul centeredness. Um, Mm -hmm. We live in a cheap consumeristic um, fly by the seat of your pants, get those endorphins and, you know, mental chemicals that make you feel happy, um, through food, drugs, um, illicit sex, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, consumer, consumerism, all of these things is just, uh, teaching people, uh, how not to be present with themselves and how not to, um, look inward and take responsibility for their actions and behaviors. Um, and I think that at the root of it, um, is obviously it's like, a it's related to capitalism, Mm -hmm. um, and it's cultural artifacts. Um, but at the root of it is something, you know, that Islam provides the antidote to, which is, um, heart purification and, and taking responsibility and being deeply present, um, and, and all of that stuff. So I guess societally, whether we're Muslim or not, these are some of the things that we're contending with and they're huge issues, um, and they're existentially related, but unfortunately the culture that we're living in right now globally, um, doesn't provide for a lot of deep existential, um, kind of exploration for people and um the relevance of religion in that realm is fading for folks um and that kind of thing so i would say those are some of the major things that we're contending with yeah definitely i i agree yeah those are like really big problems Mm -hmm. yeah uh i guess kind of like to finish it off right i uh like what would you say or what advice would you give to someone who's like looking or thinking about becoming a Muslim? Ooh, come be my friend. <laughs> Let's hang out. I have something for you. It's called the Quran. Uh, no, so someone who's thinking about being a Muslim, um, hmm, I would definitely say um, don't be deterred by mm-hmm. who you find along the way trust the journey that you're being guided on trust your intuition um but also recognize that some of what you're going to come up against in terms of anxiety is deep-rooted islamophobic implicit bias so when i first like literally on the night of my shahada I was terrified that when I became a Muslim, I was joining a global cult and someone was going to tell me some big weird secret (laughs) after I'd converted and I wouldn't be able to leave. That's Islamophobia. Okay. It's rearing its ugly head. Obviously, alhamdulillah, I persisted past what I knew was a delusion, Um, but it still came up. So my point, I guess, is that if someone's thinking about converting to Islam, recognize that your journey of conversion doesn't 
doesn't end with Shahada. It starts with Shahada. It starts with the slow changeover of your behaviors, habits, the things in your home, how you act, the people in your lives, everything you're doing will slowly change over. Um, and it's really important to recognize um, and reflect too that when you do become a Muslim, that you're not replicating the systems of oppression that you are privileged in um, within the Muslim community. Um, and that you're open and and recognize too that every Muslim is on their own journey. A lot of the issues that new converts face come from, you know, feeling like they're being slighted by other Muslims or feeling like they're facing toxicity in community and that causes them to run from deen. But people need to separate Muslims from the religion and um, continue to follow the faith, no matter how dysfunctional our communities can unfortunately be these yeah. days. Um, so that would be a definite piece of advice. And the the number one thing I would say, though, is that hold firm to the Quran. It will never lead you astray. It will always be your companion in this life and it will always provide you solace when you most need it. Um, develop a deep entrenched habit of of reading daily if you can even five ayat um it won't it won't be wasted ever and it will only bring baraka into your day inshallah inshallah that's good advice mashallah and going back to like what you were just saying about uh like don't don't like be deterred from islam because of like the community or the people it's like in the end, it's like the people in any place, people can be like corrupt or they can, uh, you know, they're people. So they make mistakes and stuff. So mm -hmm. it's like the religion that really matters and what it stands for. And so and not only that, but at the end of time, when it's the final day, you will still be made to stand before your Lord, mm -hmm. regardless of what other people did to you. Yeah. So stay firm on the right path so that you have the answers and the justifications for your behavior and habits in that moment. We yeah. have to be more Akira focused. And the Quran actually facilitates that. It constantly reminds us that this isn't our only life. You don't only live once. It's not YOLO. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we have a long way to go um, after our death in this dunya. So sorry to Definitely. end on a morbid, morbid note, but it's always good to be reminded. Yeah. Jazakum Allah Khairan for coming on. Ayakum. I had a good time, alhamdulillah. And, uh, Thank you, me too. Barakallahu <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for uh, listening at home. I hope you're all doing well, you know, in this time, staying safe and stuff, and social distance if you can, wear a mask if you can't. And I'll see you all next time. All right, peace. Yeah.